Uh, this morning we're continuing our series in 1 Peter. It is a New Testament letter written by the disciple Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers that we read about in the gospel. And in this letter that was written about 30 years after Jesus lived, died, and rose again uh, and ascended into heaven, Peter is writing to a group of Christians that are scattered in a few cities in the Roman Empire. And these Christians are wrestling with the fact that they are a weird and strange people, that in a lot of ways they're like foreigners, but not foreigners from a distant earthly country, foreigners from a heavenly country, that they are spiritual exiles whose true home is in heaven, and they're struggling to understand how are we to live in this world where there are many different people who think we're odd, who make us suffer because of the name of Christ. And so we've seen here in this middle portion in chapter 2 of the letter that Peter is trying to talk to them about the times in their life when they will be rubbing elbows with some non-Christian people, especially people who are non-Christian and in authority above them. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at a passage speaking about civil authorities like the emperor or governors or the president or other civil authorities over us. And today, we're looking at another way in which God's people may find themselves under the authority of someone who is not Christian. And so if you would, we're going to open up to 1 Peter, which is near the back of your Bibles. 1 Peter, we're near the end of chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. We'll be talking about some differences in just a minute. Hear the word of the Lord. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for speaking to us and not being silent and that you speak to us in our situations, that you are willing to address people that others would not address. And we thank you for this word and we ask that you would speak to us through it, that your word is living and active and powerful. And so, Lord, use me in spite of my own weakness, in spite of my own sins, in the power of the Spirit to bring forth your truth today. Give us ears to hear and hearts ready to be changed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at our passage today, I want us to ask three questions that we have to answer with increasing difficulty. 
The first is, who is Peter addressing in this passage? The second is, what is Peter commanding these people to do? And finally, the hardest answer we have to get is why? Why is Peter commanding them and us to do this? But the first question is, who is Peter addressing? This portion of Peter's letter opens with an address to a specific group of people. And English translations debate between two English words of what they want to use. Slaves or servants. Neither of those words is perfect because both of those English words carry baggage. Baggage that influences in our minds what we think of, whether it is a slave or a servant. See, to modern Americans like us, the word slaves makes us think of our own history, of the brutal enslavement of Africans that happened in our country, that these men and women were treated as subhuman pieces of property because they looked different. And so the word slaves has heavy baggage for us. But that doesn't mean the word servants is free from baggage. See, the word servants sounds softer than slaves. When we think of servants, we may think of Alfred, Bruce Wayne's butler, who is the kindly fatherly figure to give wisdom to Master Bruce and to Batman. That, that might be who we think of. Or we might think of the servants on Downton Abbey, like Mr. Carson and Mrs. Hughes, who are enjoying their service and dignified, and though they may be the servant class downstairs, they still have a certain dignity and respect from Lord and Mrs. Grantham. And so both of those words... Slaves and servants have baggage for us. They influence our thinking before we even get to the passage. And the truth of the matter of what Peter's writing about is probably somewhere in between, between American slavery and between the servant class of England. See, in Peter's world, slaves did have fewer rights. They were not full people in society. But it was not simply because of their skin color or their ethnicity. Rather, slavery was not linked to one specific group of people. The Roman Empire was a melting pot, and all different kinds of people could be slaves. And it wasn't a permanent status either, that people could be redeemed out of slavery or even earn their own freedom. And so slavery in ancient times was bad, don't get me wrong, and yet it was different and distinct from our American experience with slavery. And yet, in spite of the fact that slaves were lower-class members, Peter singles them out, and he writes directly to them. Even though the world didn't consider them full persons in society, Peter did. He believed they were worthy of hearing God's word directly, and that they would be responsible for obeying it. See, many people get mad at Peter and also Paul, who wrote elsewhere about slaves obeying their masters, because they should have called for the end and the eradication of slavery. And I can understand that. But he's not calling for the end of it. Rather, Peter is subverting the very institution of slavery. He is writing to slaves like they are real people with real value who really matter. No one treated them like that. See, instead of going after the institution of slavery, Peter was after the individuals enslaved. And he wanted to speak to them that as Christian slaves, how should they live as Christian people in slavery? But again, we look at this and we might ask, okay, well, that's a great history lesson, but how does it matter for us today? I look out in the congregation and to my knowledge, I don't see any slaves 
I don't see any servants. And as I look in our culture as well here today, I, I don't necessarily think we have a lot of slavery and servants in our culture. In some places of the world, surely it still exists. But for us, we look at this and go, okay, so what is this here for? What are we to do with this passage? Well, the two ways we can go about doing this is first, we, we find the nearest parallel. What is the closest thing to slavery? And for us, it's probably employment. Now, some of us who are employed might go, amen, it feels like slavery at my job. But in Peter's time, employment was very different than what it is today. People typically did not get up and go to their workplace for a different company doing all sorts of different jobs. Rather, they worked in their field or their neighbor's field or they worked at a trade. But today, many employees serve their superiors in their company. And again, even though they're not technically slaves, sometimes we might feel like servants to the company. And these employees can work under good or bad bosses. But even those of us who are not employed, perhaps we are retired or not currently employed somewhere, this word still applies to us. It's not something we can tune out and be thinking about how Mr. Roethlisberger is not going to throw five interceptions today. That we need to hear the word of God for all people. See, regardless of our situation, we're going to find ourselves under people of authority. Don't know how, don't know when, but we will. And sometimes they're not going to be that nice. Sometimes they will be nice. And so regardless, when we are under authority, we are called to have a servant's attitude of a willingness to serve, and as we'll see, even a willingness to suffer. That gets to that second big question. What is Peter telling them to do? And his words are very similar to what we saw about civil government. Here's what he writes. Slaves, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. That Christian slaves or Christian servants are commanded to obey their masters, to be subject to them, knowing that God is their ultimate master, their ultimate authority. That's a very general, broad command, and I'm sure lots of us, and I'm sure lots of the slaves that Peter is writing to have their hands shooting up in the air like, but, 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 I have a really bad master. But Peter cuts them off before they can even get it out of their mouths, writing, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. It's easy to obey good authorities. If we have good and gentle and honorable bosses, it's great. I hope you've all experienced the time where you got to actually work under a good and gentle boss that was fair and upright and worthy of your respect and your obedience. Obeying them comes naturally. You delight to obey them in a way. You want them to see you doing a good job because you know that they put good things where good things should be. But not all bosses are like that. Certainly not all slave masters were good and gentle. Some were unjust and harsh. The word there is for crooked, that even crooked masters, crooked bosses should be obeyed if we can do so while following the commands of God. That kind of obedience is not easy. We want to rebel, to revolt, to cry out, that we want nothing more than to be free from unjust masters or unjust bosses. And yet Peter doesn't leave wiggle room here. 
that this is the kind of obedience and submission Christians are called to. Here's what he writes. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That idea is pulled straight out of our New Testament reading from Luke 6, straight from the mouth of Jesus. When Jesus is saying, if you are kind and loving to your friends, good for you. Even the pagans, even the unbelievers do that. If you lend money to people you know are going to give it back quickly, great, good for you. But are we called to more than that? Christians are called to a revolutionary attitude of loving their enemies. And here, as Peter says, enduring unjust suffering. It's a hard truth. And yet, Peter is showing us that God sees it, and he sees it as commendable. Or as the ESV says, a gracious thing. Notice how the focus of the obedient Christian servant is in this verses. The focus is on God. That we endure unjust suffering when we are mindful of God, knowing how it appears in the sight of God. See, Peter is encouraging these Christian slaves to endure, knowing that God sees them. And he sees them and recognizes this is a good thing worthy of reward. Again, going back to the New Testament reading. See, one of the great things about God is he is the ultimate appeals court. He is the ultimate appeals court. Well, he will will hear every case, and every case will be righted, that no case will continue to go unnoticed, unrewarded, and unpunished forever, that God is the just judge who presides over that court where injustice will be undone and all things will be made right. But again, that leaves us looking at this passage, and we're like, but God... If you're a just judge, if you love justice, then why would you want us to suffer injustice? If you're so concerned with injustice and getting rid of it, then why do you want us to put up with it? Wouldn't God want slaves to be free? Wouldn't he want his people to be released from such oppression? Yes, I believe so. I believe God loves justice and desires that people would become free from oppression. I believe that God is happy when his people are free. Or for us, I believe God is happy when we are working under good and gentle employers who are fair towards their employees and towards their customers. But there's also something else in this passage. That God must want something in addition to justice. That there must be something that God wants even more than our freedom, even more than justice. And so what is that? That's the third question. Why should we even do this? Why should we obey unjust masters, unjust bosses? Why should we endure this when God loves justice? Why should we put up with this knowing that it's going to cause physical, emotional, and relational pain? Verse 21 shows us. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. God wants us to be like Jesus and to follow his example. Peter tells us this by showing us 
verse, uh, Isaiah 53, he's alluding to it, that he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He's showing us, here is the example. It's in Isaiah 53 of a suffering servant. He's saying Jesus endured unjust suffering and we should do the same. But again, our hearts are just bursting. They're ready to go with another but Peter. But Peter, Jesus had a really good reason to suffer and die. He had a really, 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 like the best ever reason to suffer and die. Like he was dying for our sins to save people from eternal damnation and hell. What about me? What am I suffering for? I'm stuck working for a crooked boss who hates me, who doesn't give me the weekends off, who treats me like garbage. Am I saving people from sin? Or the slave in ancient times? I'm oppressed, treated like property, forbidden from voting and marriage and owning property and all kinds of things. What possible good reason could there be for my suffering? What about my rights, my freedom? What about justice, God? Are these things not more important? Those are really good questions. It's not like Peter doesn't know that. Peter knows that these things come from a place of pain. He knows that slaves dream about receiving their rights and becoming full members of society. And similarly, anyone who's worked for crooked companies and bosses know how depressing and defeating it can feel, sapping the hope and joy out of life and how you just want to be free. But Peter says that we are called not to seek our own freedom. We are called to follow Jesus. We are not called to seek our own rights, but to seek obedience. And so the most important question I have for all of you this morning is this. Is being like Jesus more important to you than defending your own rights and innocence? Put it another way. Is being like Jesus more important to you than avoiding pain and suffering? I mean, we all want to avoid pain and suffering. I feel like that's on the top of our want lists. But where does being like Jesus fit in relation to that? That's what Peter is asking them to think about. Is being like Jesus more important than avoiding pain and suffering? Because he wants us to be like Jesus. This idea of being like Jesus reminds me of a commercial that came out in the early 90s for Gatorade featuring Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player. In this commercial, the choir of children is singing this catchy song about wanting to be like Mike. I want to jump and dunk like Mike. I want to shoot and score like Mike. I want to win like Mike. If I could be like Mike. And who wouldn't want to be like Mike? Who's the greatest basketball player ever? Winning championships, lots of money, tons of success. Everyone wants to be like Mike. What the commercial doesn't show, because it's trying to sell Gatorade, is that Mike worked a lot. Being like Mike involved countless hours and days and weeks and years in the gym, training, practicing, working hard, sacrifice. Not only that, but the competitive, compulsive desire to win that Michael had rubbed his family, his friends, his teammates very much the wrong way, and they thought he was kind of a jerk for it. 
So the kid's song sounds really good about wanting to be like Mike, and yet there is something far more difficult than singing the song and drinking the drink and wearing the shoes. Similarly, God is telling us here in 1 Peter to follow in the steps of Jesus, that we should be like Jesus, not like Mike. Following in Jesus' footsteps sounds like a great life motto. You could put it like on a frame in your house, following the footsteps of Jesus. Or you could just translate it to modern times and say, Jesus, take the wheel. And it would sound like a great song as well. This is a good song. But those songs sound good when we're thinking about going to church, reading the Bible, being kind to our friends and family who appreciate that we love Jesus, giving to the poor, maybe even praying for our enemies. But being like Jesus Following his footsteps, as Peter shows us, also means enduring unjust suffering. That the footsteps of Jesus led to Jesus' unlawful arrest. Slanderous charges being brought against him, to malicious beatings and cruel whippings, to being spat upon, to an unjust condemnation, to a brutal crucifixion. That that's the path that Jesus' footsteps took. And Peter is saying that Christians are called to follow that example. And we're called to follow that example because Jesus did that for us. That we may not deserve the suffering that we face at the hands of an unjust boss, a teacher, someone else who we're under the authority of, but there is some suffering we did deserve. And Jesus took that suffering. That what he suffered on the cross was meant for us, for our sins. It was the just punishment for our sins passed down by a just God onto someone who cared about justice so much that he said, I will be willing to die for you, that your sins may be forgiven. That when Jesus died on the cross, it was our sins in his body nailed to the tree so that we can be forgiven and healed by his wounds. And so if we believe in Jesus, then we are called to put to death the life of sin and to live for righteousness, as verse 24 says. But living for righteousness means being like Jesus, the righteous one. And being like Jesus means enduring unjust suffering. Trusting, as verse 25 says, that he is our great shepherd. And even if we're walking and following him into unjust suffering, he is there with us as our shepherd. He is there as our overseer the ultimate authority whom we are following even if we're listening to our boss, even if we're listening to someone else. See, whether we are slaves, whether we are employees or Christians in general, we will have to ask ourselves, do we value being like Jesus more than being comfortable, more than avoiding suffering? Do we see as God sees that enduring unjust suffering as Jesus did is a gracious thing, a commendable thing in the sight of our true shepherd and our true overseer? Is the question Peter asks us here. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you really want to be like Jesus? Because Jesus has shown you amazing love by suffering unjustly for you. Let us trust in him for salvation and follow his example. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a just God and that you will uphold justice in the end, that all rights will be wrong, all wrongs will be righted, and we are thankful that your justice came through and that your wrath was poured out on Jesus and not on us.
and that we can be saved through the cross. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Help our love for him, for what he has done for us to well up in our hearts that it fuels us to endure any unjust suffering we face, knowing that you see it, O God, and you are with us and you love us through it. Lord, strengthen us by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.